Hi, everyone. Welcome to Key Change, a COC podcast, where we explore everything about opera from a fresh perspective. Welcome to our first episode of 2021. We're your hosts, Robin Grant Moran and Julie McIsaac. So Julie, this is a pretty special episode. It's not often you get a chance to sit down for a long chat with the head of an opera company. And this week we're speaking to two. That's right. We're chatting with both Alexander Neef, the COC's current general director, and incoming general director Perrin Leach, who begins his role in March. Now, most of our listeners are probably somewhat familiar with Alexander, who joined the COC in 2008 and became the head of Opéra Nationale de Paris this past September. So we'll hear from Alexander about how he's looking back on the time that he spent in Toronto. You'll also get to know Perrin. He began his career as a lighting and technical director before moving into administration. Originally from England, he joined the acclaimed Houston Grand Opera 14 years ago and was appointed its managing director in 2011. And you want to be sure to stick around to the very end of the episode where we have some fun with a lightning round of questions to really get to know both Alexander and Perrin outside the Opera House. We are so pleased to have you both here. What a rare treat for us to have two general directors joining us here today on the podcast. Welcome, Alexander. Welcome, Perrin. Thank you. Thanks for having us. For the listeners who might not realize this, this recording is actually happening across four time zones. So how's everything in Paris and Houston? It's night in Paris already. We are actually allowed to rehearse here, but we're not allowed to receive an audience at the moment. So I will be going down after this conversation for a dress rehearsal of the Magic Flute. Yeah, and in Houston, it's a beautiful um, early um, winter day. So it's, it's cold, crisp, but not cold by Canadian standards. So I'm actually sitting on my back deck doing this podcast, which is a rare treat. I, I started off the pandemic uh, and then went through the very, very hot summer months in Houston um, inside and, and now I can break out again. So it's it's kind of fantastic. So I'm wrapped up warm, but it's uh, it's nice to be outside again. Lovely. And Alexander, we're curious, if you had to sort of pinpoint it, what will you miss the most about Toronto and the COC? You know, I mean, all that has happened anywhere since March of last year, um, it's a little bit unreal because we were we were confined in Toronto the middle of March, and I left for Paris quite a few months later, um, but I still didn't have the opportunity to see anybody, like all you guys. Um, we've interacted for like five plus months before my departure on Zoom and you know on the phone, and so it's been a little bit of a weird virtual um, <laughs> existence already. So what I'm what I'm missing is real goodbyes. Right, yeah. um, which I which I hope people can do at some point um, when this is all over and to travel will be easier again and 
Yeah, we're without those sort of threshold moments and ritual moments where we get to begin things together and celebrate their beginnings. But like you said, also the endings or the next chapters of things. Um, but yet again, that's really why we're grateful that you're able to be here with us today and just spend some time reflecting. And um, Alexander, do you have something that you would consider your proudest accomplishment during your tenure as general director? I don't know. I always think so it's up to other people to talk about that. Um, I I feel an enormous sense of gratitude towards not only the COC, but also to Canada for allowing me, you know, 12 years is a long time. And I was very young when I came to the COC. I was given an incredible opportunity to lead the company, to, you know, inherit, which I maintain is one of the greatest opera houses in the world, to start programming for that building, to really, in, in a sense, properly activate the building because it was only opened in 2006, two years before I arrived. And I think there was a there was a desire to, to create an ambi- ambitious artistic project for the building and for the company and to, to be able to embark on that together with the people in the company, but also the, our audience in, in Toronto was really, it was thrilling. You know, sometimes over the last little while, I've kind of looked back because you don't remember all the things you actually did over 12 years. And you're like, oh, we really did that. That was actually a great show. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a sense of pride of, of having been able to do that. And, you know, again, a great, great sense of gratitude, too. And if you were to sum up that in in three words in terms of um, the things that you're grateful for or have that pride around, what would those three words be? Well, if you really want three words, um, and on on a personal level, it's opportunity to grow, right? And on the on the other side, maybe opportunity to build. Lovely, yeah. And just before we we shift gears a little bit to Perrin, uh, we are curious about Perrin and Alexander. When did you first meet? What was that first encounter between the two of you? It must have been in sometime around two thousand seven. And I was very briefly involved with um, Gerard Mortier's preparation for his tenure at New York City Opera, which never happened. But at that time, I had um, started traveling um, actually from Paris at the time. I did crazy things. I flew to Houston and Chicago for like two days um, to check out their young artist programs and find talent that we could use for City Opera. And one of the first trips was to Houston. And, you know, at that point, Diane Zola, who Karen remembers, was still running the artist program. She's at the Met now. And I went to your your gala, your voice competition in gala. And that was my first contact with Houston. That must be about two months after I started in Houston. So that, that would absolutely be right, I'm sure. Wow. A better memory than I had, Alexander. I, I was thinking... We must have been on a dark street corner somewhere and had a beer something. But uh, yes, I'm sure you're right. I remember the weather was very nice. Houston always was my favorite um, destination to go to from Toronto in like January and February. So Perrin, this seems like a really great time to ask about what drew you to the Canadian Opera Company. I I love that question because I got asked that by the board several times during the interview process. And I think it shows a very Canadian way of the way you look at your company. COC is, is a major player on the world stage. Literally any general director would be interested in the opportunity to come and work at COC. Um, you have a beautiful house, uh, as Alexander said, that opened in 2006. And he's had an amazing decade of producing the highest quality of artistic work. So it's a fantastic organization. 
it's, it feels very humble to ask that question because literally everybody should have been beating your door down for this amazing opportunity to, to come to Canada. But certainly from a personal point of view, I, I worked with Canadian Opera Company many, many years ago. They brought uh, a show to the Edinburgh Festival, Duke Bluebeard's Castle and Edvartan, the very acclaimed Robert Lepage show. Um, so I knew the, 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 the company from that. I was head of lighting at the time. So I knew the company from then. And then obviously I, I got to know the company when I came over here. Uh, and I've been a reasonably regular visitor to Toronto as well to see performances and shows. Houston and, and Ca uh, Canadian Opera Company have co-produced together quite a lot. So it just, it's a very natural progression fit. Uh, and I'm thrilled that the board thought that I could add value to COC which is a, a company that's already overflowing with huge talent and, and a, a really great uh, critical acclaim. And what were your thoughts about the city itself? Uh, Texas and anywhere is different. Um, let's be really clear about that. Uh, Houston is the least Texan city of, of the Texas. Well, no, it's Houston and Austin, to be fair. Um, Houston is the culturally the most diverse city in the U.S., uh, statistically. Um, and I, one of the things I've loved about living in Houston is that people think they have an an understanding, a knowledge of what Houston is, uh, and until they visit and actually spend some time here, you, you have no idea. Um, when I flew in for, you know, to, to see if I was interested in, in, in joining uh, Houston Grand Opera in 2000, late 2006, I knew exactly what Houston would look like because I'd watched Dallas with my mum. Dallas was very close. It was going to be lots of people riding on horses, prairie, everywhere. And I came into this beautiful little green oasis of a city um, it's very green in Houston because of the, of the, of the <laughs> as I now know, the rainfall um, and the temperatures. But it's this wonderful melting pot um, of, of, a, of a city. You know, it, yes, I, I love to discover the, the beating heart of a city quite quickly. And when I travel, I, I rarely sit still in a hotel. I, I walk the streets. I smell the city. And that's a, sound, a weird thing to say. But you get a feel about the culture of a city from the food smells, through the, just the general ambience of a city so I, I love nothing better than you know, walking through a city in an early morning um to, to go and, and, and have, you know either have a walk or go to a first meeting of the day or whatever and feel the you know the cultural hubbub starting uh, and just getting a sort of a real a real feel for the city i, I look forward to explain, exploring toronto much more but you know we visited as a family for five days um when we were about three summers four summers ago um, and we had some friends who had a, a farm just outside toronto so we went and visited them it's an amazing city, and, and the number of people who've invited themselves already shows that people know what Toronto is, because everyone's like, oh, I'll definitely come and visit you in Toronto. You go, I've been in Houston for 14 years, and you never once invited yourself there. Okay. Um, but you know, it, 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 I think you'll have a, a lot of visitors. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, we're certainly excited to have you come and explore and join us. You started your career in backstage and production. How do you think that impacts how you work as a general director? I think everybody brings different skills to the roles of general director. And, you know, Alexander is uh, a wonderful resource in terms of his artistic knowledge, his breadth of repertoire knowledge, singers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that has absolutely raised the bar for Canadian Opera Company in terms of the artists it can attract and, the, you know, the ensembles it's put together. What I bring to it is I kind of know how to put opera on. I've worked up from the very bottom. I understand completely that every single person has a role and uh, you know, a well-tuned engine has to have all parts of that engine working in perfect harmony because you can only achieve greatness if everything is... If you have one slightly thing that's out of time, at that point, it just doesn't, doesn't work. 
what I am is someone who has a very uh, practical knowledge. I think a good way with people. I think I in, enjoy getting an ensemble together of people who create work that is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, and I, you know, that's what I've tried to do in Houston, at least. Uh, that's why I've been successful in my career. So what that, what that means in terms of skills, nobody has all the skills to be a general director. The portfolio of skills that you need is just wild, far too wide. So I bring different skills to Alexander. I will rely on others to bring some of the skills that Alexander has. But any good opera company is run by a team of people. It's not, yes, there's a titular head, there's a final decision maker, but it's a team of people. And, and one of the things I loved most about COC during the interview process was every person I met had this kind of cool attitude about it. They wanted to be there. They wanted to, to, to do the best work possible. Uh, and that's a really appealing thing as a leader. That's been uh, a running theme, too, that opera is, a, is really a team sport. Yeah. I was in, in Wales, so I went down from London to Wales, and, and I had been told that the Welsh National Opera, where I used to work, was a family company. And, and it's interesting because all three of the companies that i worked for since, at some point, somebody has used that analogy. The great things about nonprofits are that people are drawn to work for nonprofits because they have a passion for the art. They have a passion for creating performance. Um, and that passion can always be harnessed if you have the right way of doing it. Since you've been at Houston for 14 years now, what's your proudest accomplishments? Yeah, there's, there's no question about the one that, that has certainly got the most press, which is the fact that, that we lost our theatre uh, in 2017 to Hurricane Harvey. Uh, we were able to relocate to the, to the convention centre and, and through a period of time, it was a short-term relocation, a medium-term relocation, and eventually ended up being our entire season. Um, and to be able to get the organisation through that period of time without losing a single member of staff, without losing a single performance, um, and to keep our donors and our supporters engaged with the organisation um, was a, an absolutely huge lift for the company. And that was one of the places where Houston got slightly lucky with the fact that I was there. I built temporary venues of large scale before uh, at the Edinburgh Festival, um, and I knew how to do that. Uh, and, and once they'd sort of calmed down, once they said, look, we're going to build a venue within the George R. Brown Convention Centre, and everybody sort of looked at me in that way that, I know he's my boss, but can I tell him he's a, well, I can't say any words, but can I tell him how mad that is? And then they, they sort of go, okay, well, let's, and then you sit down and you go, okay, this is, I've done this before. Let's just walk it through. And you, everyone sort of slowly bought into the idea. And actually the thrill of doing that, the, the excitement, the adrenaline buzz of doing that, you know, there's a deadline, you, you kept the deadline. And we all have deadlines within the way we produce shows and, you know, Alexander has a dress rehearsals night and, and that leads to the first night of the performance. This was a sort of adrenaline, a, a deadline on adrenaline acid because it was, you know, we were three weeks out, four, four weeks out from opening the season um, and we had to build an entire venue. Um, and those are things which take years and years to plan normally, et cetera, et cetera. So we went for on paper, what looked like quite a simplistic way of doing it. But one of the things that made me proudest was at the end of that, you know, all the, all the people who made been a part of making that said, there's not much we would have done differently. We got virtually everything right. I mean, there's no right and wrong per se, but so that, that was certainly professionally one of the, 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 the real highlights um, and, and something that I'm, I'm extraordinarily proud of, of, the, of the work of the company and being able to lead them through that because I think it was a, a big leap of faith for both 
the, the people who made the venues, but also the board. The, the board had to have complete and utter faith in me. I, this was not a situation where I was going back to the board and asking for permission for anything. I said, this is what we're doing. Hold my beer. I'll be back in a month and we'll have a venue, I'll have a season, we'll have this. So that, that was definitely that. I think in terms of the organization, we are on a much better fiscal footing than we were nine years ago. Uh, and we've been through now an economic downturn in Houston through the oil and gas industry, Hurricane Harvey, and a pandemic. And I still leave the organization in a better fiscal position than we were before. And we've also done the right thing by our artists and our staff. So we've had you know, ongoing programs for about equity, diversity, and inclusion. We've substantially increased pay in some areas, which were, in my opinion, gender-related um, pay issues. Uh, we've we, we have honest, proper conversations now about the value of everybody in an organisation rather than just a few. Um, and I, I think, you know, personally, I find that to be really rewarding work because I think it's a very fair organisation to work for now um, in a way that I don't think was true a decade ago. That's an incredible list of accomplishments. Um, we're really excited to have you. I know I've said that before, and we're very <laughs> sad to be saying bye to Alexander as well. You know, you've you've had some some brilliant years under alexander i will bring something different but great organizations are built around stability and people who have vision for an organization mm -hmm. now before i throw it back to julie and alexander i have one quick question what operas had the biggest impact on you yeah so I, I, that, that actually the answer to that has to be the the coronation of popea because it was my first opera um, so I was at drama school. I got to work on the, this production at the Royal Academy of Music, the, Royal, the, the Coronation of Popea, first opera I'd ever seen. Um, all I remember is how long it was and, and how you had three scene changes to do during this entire opera. Um, and it was the challenge was to keep awake and make sure you could have done it. But that was the opera that then gave me an opportunity to work at Glanbourne Festival and, and brought me into the world of opera. So in terms of impact, unquestionably, that is the biggest impact because it brought me to opera. Um, I, you can't do a ring cycle without that having an enormous impact on you, both personally, professionally, uh, and as organisationally. Those things are things that bring an organisation together. Um, and I know I didn't. I know you didn't ask for three answers, but you're getting three answers anyway. Uh, the piece that I love the most um, and really resonates most with me is, is Cruzala Cala de la Luna, which is the world's first mariachi opera, which we've toured extensively all over the world, including to the Chatelier in Paris. Um, and that piece just sits in my heart in a way that I, I was part of the creation of it from day one and world premieres are very special like that the, you you you're, you know that you've had a, a thumbprint on that um, and that piece is will always remain you know one of, one of the artistic highlights of my life I think unquestionably digital continues to grow and become a more uh, central part of the art form. Uh, I think we've, you know, already we've heard of, of companies commissioning new work purely for digital production. Um, I think that's sensible. I think it's part of it. But as Alexander said, the, 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 the main 
the main event, the thing that will draw you back to opera is is performances. So it's a, it's part of a, the same symbiotic circle. If you don't have the live part, then then it will be very difficult. You know, we, we've had success with our digital programming in, in Houston, but it, it's already starting to drop off. People, some people just don't like watching opera on on a small screen, um, and you know, we have the amazing capabilities in our own homes now. You know, when when I was growing up. We had one black and white TV in our house, and then we got you know oh, color TV, and it was like the size of my house because it had this huge tube on the back. And now we're at you know seventy inch screens, and everyone's like, "Oh, you only got a seventy inch? Oh my god, you need an eight. You know? So we, we, everything's moved on from that, and and you've got sound systems now that support that. It's still not the same because part of seeing a live performance, and this isn't just opera. Part of seeing a live performance is feeling the reactions of the people around you, feeling feeling. A community with people who are experiencing the piece of art at the same time, um, and and you know, one of the reasons that the high school night was one of my favourite nights of, of the opera that we we do in Houston. Those kids don't know how they're supposed to react at an opera. The outpouring of emotion at different parts of the opera is pure and real, because they don't know that this is coming up. It's the first time they've seen it. They they don't know that uh, Rodolfo is going to kiss Mimi. And you get this sort of intake of breath. And everyone, you know, the majority of people, if you've been to performing arts, you kind of don't get surprised very often. But yeah. those kids do. And that's a completely normal reaction. Um, and so it's it's absolutely thrilling to have that going on around you, and especially for pieces that you maybe don't know so well. So we did a production of, of Saw, um, which is a Handel oratorio that was staged brilliantly by Barry Kosky. Um, and you could just see the entire auditorium dazzled by this theatrical brilliance and also had some controversial moments in which one or two people chose to vote with their feet and leave. And, and so, so it wasn't all plain sailing. But even the people who left, the vast majority of them wrote saying, I'm really thrilled you did this. It was a fantastic thing. Just not for me. Based on a biblical story, we are in the Deep South. So you know, we, we, had, we were aware of it. We tried to educate before people came but it was too much for some people. And that's, you know, that's their right. And I think Alexander would agree that you would much rather someone said, I loved five of your operas this season and hated two, than went, yeah, the season was okay. Because hmm. at that point, you're not really engaging with your audience. They're, not, they're, they're experiencing it on a very superficial level. You know, if, you, if you can't remember performances from three months ago, then it really didn't make much of an impact on you. Whereas yeah. if you're still talking about it years and years later, Good or bad. So the, the curation of a season is, is very much about having that mixture and making sure that people come on a journey with you, understand what the stories that you're trying to tell, but they're not necessarily going to like everything. And Alexander, I'd love for you to have the opportunity to answer that question around the transformation that opera might be experiencing right now. But also what Perrin just mentioned about risk, I'm curious if you could share with us, what is the greatest risk that you feel that you took? while you were at the COC? It's the risk and sometimes the rigor also of trying not to please. And I, what I mean with that is that I think you also need to program with convictions and you need to build a relationship with your artists and with your audience where there's a dialogue that works between all of us. Of course, you want to program what people like but you can't only program what they want to see because it would mean you would only program things that they already know. 
right? And I think the proudest moments for all of us are the ones where you do something and you know, you don't really know where you're going and what the result is going to be. And um, then you get, you know, you get hate mail for everything you do. That's fine. Um, but then you get, um, you know, letters for people that say, wow, we had no clue that this would be good. Um, and please do more of this. And that's, I think, how you build, how you start building something with, with your audience and with your artists. You know, I've, I always jokingly said when we presented Dimitri Chernyakov's production of Don Giovanni in Toronto, I jokingly said, well, the fact if I'm going to be out of a job or not after we do that show will tell me a lot about my audience. The interesting thing about that show for us was that, yes, of course, we got quite a bit of hate mail. and um, But we also was there. Actually, I think my very first show at CLC, that we got a big number of letters from people who said, this was great, do more of this, because they knew there would be hate mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and they knew that we also needed to get the positive voice heard. And that was really interesting. And um, I've always, what I've always liked about... Um, the CLC audience is that they are curious and they don't judge it before they see it. Um, and I think that's a huge quality for an audience. Yeah. Hate, hate mail in Canada sounds like it might be quite muted compared to hate mail in, in Texas. And hate mail, of course, is, a, is a, maybe a bit of a harsh word. In the age of um, just typing something in your computer yeah. and sending it off without reading it again, um, that's easy. I mean, people do it more when they're angry. They don't do it when they're happy. Mm. No, I think that's I think that's very very true, and and, and it's, it is interesting. So we we did Dead Man Walking in Houston, which is a, a you know an opera about the death penalty, and and again doing that in Texas, which is a state that still has the death penalty. The conversations it opens up the 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 community allow, allowing the community to, to have a piece of art as a starting point for a debate about the death penalty, the rights and wrongs of the death penalty, whether it still has a place in modern society, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, were absolutely fascinating um, mm-hmm. and of course very very uh, um, hot conversations at, at various points because you know it's not it's not an, a- an area that most people are ambivalent about you have a very strong opinion you're either for it or you're against it it's, and you know I think one of the challenges we have as a society now is that people are becoming more and more polarized they don't want to hear mm-hmm. somebody else's view they want to tell you why their view is right um, and one of the challenges we definitely face as a society is how do we have conversations in which you are actually talking about the issue rather than just positioning yourself to, to have your, your heart part heard and then not listen to the other part. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it's becoming more and more of a worldwide issue. I mean, it might be a little bit more pronounced at the moment in, in your current home country, Perrin. But, you know, I think the ability to listen to each other and the ability to sometimes just agree in a civil way that you disagree with each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's the original idea of theater, to gather the citizens in a space that is dedicated to performance that allows them to share an experience, go through the same thing um, collectively and individually, and then in a way, you know, put society issues of society on stage and allow people by removing it from their daily lives and turning it into art, putting it on a stage to reflect on their own you know, being their own reality, their own issues. And then for them to not come all reach the same conclusion, but to still have shared that moment. And then after that, what you said is a very profound caring, um, years after that, still talk about it. And maybe still not agree, mm-hmm. um, but that, that culture of, of, of 
exchange and debate, I think that theater was, was invented to foster that. And if we can help mend some of the um, you know, wounds of society currently, um, that way I think we've, we've done a lot mm-hmm. by, by producing meaningful art that's, that's more than just entertaining. Um, and you know, of course it should be entertaining, but it shouldn't only be entertainment. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wonderful. Um, and it's a great reminder that as we as we heal from COVID or as we move forward and look at what opera is going to look like in the next 10 years, there's also this question that you've raised about the increasing polarization and what role do we have to play among citizens and as a, as a point of, of gathering and a place where we can exchange respectfully around ideas and, and disagree together as well and what role opera has to play in that. Lots to come in the next 5, 10 years. I think it might be time for our lightning round, Robin. Okay, question one. Favorite pre-show meal? Oh, usually no time to eat before the show. That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly <laughs> where I was. Yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever's put in front of me, I'll wolf it down. First opera? Fidelio, like in the theater. Popeye backstage, uh, Carmen, the first ticket I bought. Do you guys have pets? I have George. Harry the Poodle. What type of dog is George? Um, he's very much an eclectic mix. So he's, there's some Labrador, there's some Terrier, there's some um, uh, Poodle in there, we think. I mean, he, he, he's a, I'll, I'll see if I can capture it at the end of this when we're, when we're done with the question. I'll see if I can get you a picture of him. Um, but love he's, it. Yeah. He's, We'd he's, love to um, meet him. And what's the thing that makes you smile when you first walk into the opera house? Well, I mean, you usually come in for the stage door, right? Um, so the first thing you see is the security agents. Those are the people you smile at, um, you know, because they keep us safe. I'm not even in the opera house. I, I'm outside it and I hear the sound of it. You hear musicians warming up, singers warming up. That, there's no sound like it on earth. You, you, you walk towards the building and you know it, it, it quickens your heartbeat because you know that you're about to create something or be part of a creation. What's the last opera you saw live? Mm, good question. As a performance, was actually Amber Braid as Salome um, in Frankfurt on the 1st of March of last year. Yeah, I, I guess mine would be a, a, the last performance of Aida at Houston Opera um, in February of last year. What's your favorite HGO COC co-production? Oh, we did a couple of really good ones. We did Midsummer Night's Dream. We did Peter Grimes, which um, both of which one of my personal Peter Grimes is one of my personal all-time favorites. Great, great show. Mm-hmm. Um, well, most recently, Turned Out. Um, I also liked Out Traviata. Yeah, we did we did a lot together. Yeah, and uh, the Bohème is is I I really like the Bohème. It's very immediate. It's, yeah. uh, we haven't actually done a clunker, which is again. That's that's always nice as well. What's your favorite <laughs> sports team? Okay, this is where I could get myself into a lot of trouble. So um, I'm going to stick with the easy answer, which is Arsenal Football Club, which is my uh, British football club. Uh, not uh, not soccer. I'm going to call it soccer. It's football because it's played with a foot and a ball, not throwing a ball, which is called football as well. Um, I, I, I love my my Texan sports teams. Um, but I'm not going to get myself into trouble by picking those over the Blue Jays and, and, and 
so Arsenal Football Club is my um, is my answer to that one. Yeah, so sports and I is not necessarily a love affair. Um, <laughs> but I've been to great games over time, you know, the Blue Jays and other things in Toronto. I remember very vividly um, a Cardinals game in St. Louis a long time ago, of all places. So my first time in St. Louis and I was told you have to go to Cardinals game. So mm-hmm. right. go to Cardinals game. Um, and what I like about it is the energy. Which yeah. is, you know, not dissimilar to the energy of a theatrical performance, um, somehow magnified by the sheer number of people. And right now, what would be your go-to album or recording? Interesting. I actually, you know, I've been listening to a lot less music through lockdown because I'm on the phone the whole time, and I tend to be listening to podcasts of things uh, outside of that. So actually, bizarrely, I haven't been listening to as much music. I've actually just started listening to more of the plans that. CFC have got for the next you know, two, three years of repertoire just to you know, re- remind myself and get myself deeper into some of that repertoire. But running a company in COVID times, you spend an awful lot of time not doing that. And, and because I am a very keen sports person, my time outside of that is, tends to be sport, watching sporting events and, and listening to podcasts rather than, than the music. Well, maybe as a, to start with a more general remark, I mean, my my i've always been a big great listener of music um first on the radio when i was very little and then you know, later you started that time there was music cassettes like tapes um and then later came the cd um and then came streaming and you know there's been a huge shift because when you actually needed to buy the stuff there was always this like soul searching how to invest your money like which was the album that you would settle on um and you would kind of go to the record store and listen and compare. And what I like about the streaming stuff is that I listen to much more and different music. In a way, it's it's become more casual. Um, but it's also allowed me to discover a lot of things by the sheer, you know, fact that it's kind of it's the subscription effect in many ways, like because you're 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 free to wander. And and I and I love that and I have don't have nearly enough time to listen as much to as much music as I as I would like to. And I rarely listen to opera because I, if I don't have to study a piece, which is one, one thing, of course, um, I prefer it live, but there's other things. I, I like to listen to chamber music, piano solo, a lot of piano solo, and jazz too. And ideally with headphones, I also don't like to listen to music while doing something else. When I listen, I want to listen. That didn't mm. answer the question about the album, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's your favorite pop artist? Oh, favorite, favorite pop artist. You're going back to The Clash for me. Very, very instrumental. In, great. I grew up in a wonderful time in British music history. Sort of the end of punk, going into new wave. Um, now, I, I go back that far, I'm afraid. Well, I mean, there's the classics, right? I mean, I had a phase, it was actually still in Toronto when I was driving my older daughter to school some mornings and we would make this habit of listening to only one album all the time it was the night of the like op- a night at the opera queen um it's a good one to listen to amazing it's also the uh, the confirmation is you listen to it like you know a hundred times and you still are not done because there's still yeah. things that you discover yeah. and those are the experiences that i think that's why we're in this business 
they were a group and an artist that, that transcended what was there. Um, I, I, was my favorite Montserrat Caballé quote was, was she was asked, who is the greatest singer you've ever sung with? And she just turned around and said, that's easy, Freddie Mercury. Mm. And, and, and for her to say that, after all the amazing artists that she worked with through her career, she was like, hands down, easy. He could do anything. If he wanted to Fantastic. sing opera, he could have done that, he, you know, whatever. He, yeah. he was the greatest artist she'd ever worked with. Right. We're going to jump to the last question on the list. Three words to describe opera. Thrilling. Powerful. Hmm. I'd have to think of the third one. Alexander could do the third one. <laughs> um, well, I would say beauty, truth. And maybe, um, it doesn't really sound so good in English, um, depth. Karen, you can keep thinking about it. And when you join us, yeah. you can let us know. Got it. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Wishing you both Thank so you. much luck in the rest of your day, the rest of your evening, and uh, in the months ahead. Bless you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I'm coming out of that conversation really excited. Like we know that there's a lot of challenges that we're dealing with being still in this COVID era, but I was really excited listening to parents speak and listening to Alexander reflect on his time. But yeah, it feels like we're at this precipice within the pandemic where it's been going on long enough that we recognize that digital media is really important in a way that it wasn't before. And vaccines are rolling out. So who knows what that means in terms of when live theater will begin again. But it does provide some sense of optimism for live theater beginning again. And where Alexander has, with the work he's done, and then Perrin picking up the torch and running with it, however he's going to do that. It's just really exciting. It's all these things happening at once. Mm -hmm. So Alexander's moving away from the company, but having left it in a really good position in a good yeah. way. And he's talking, he, that, that analogy of the horse, sort of yeah. bit, the horse just wanting to get out there on the racetrack and just wanting to race. You know, I certainly feel that energy in myself as well. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking with them today, I do, it's a good reminder that there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Even though our present is really challenging and difficult, there is that light at the end of the tunnel. There's something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. And that the learnings that we're taking away from this time, like the digital technology that you mentioned, uh, we'll carry that with us and we'll take it forward. But we know it's never going to replace that live exactly. gathering. And uh, we're so excited for that uh, eventual future. I, I have to laugh. One thing Perrin said about the first, that TV when he was a boy was black and white and and then moving into color TV. And then, and my first TV was about the size of my laptop screen and black mm -hmm. and white until I was like yep. six or seven. I think we got a color TV then. And it was still about the size of my laptop screen. And that was very exciting. Oh, yeah. And that natural flow of progress of technology, the progression of technology that we need to embrace it. Yeah. But it's true, it will never 
replace being in a live theater with live performers with a thousand people all around you feeling that excitement waiting for that production to begin hearing the orchestra tuning up the tv that we had robin it's like you got two channels fairly reliably and then there was a third that you could sort of get if you moved the bunny ears into the right position but it was always a bit grainy you couldn't see so that's sort of how i feel right now is like there's like this third channel that's emerging opera's thrilling and the future we don't know what it's going to look like but it's going to be thrilling because it's going to be a progression from now powerful thrilling truth beauty here we come We can't wait to hear more from Perrin as this new era begins at the COC. And uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah. Are you optimistic about the return of opera and theater? Do you think it can happen anytime soon? Let us know. We want to know what you think and feel. Feel free to send us your questions, your comments, your ideas by emailing audiences at coc.ca or tagging us on social media at Canadian Opera. See you next time when we'll be having a great chat with Rena Roussin about how opera can serve as a sphere for activism. Be the first to find out about free events and concerts from the COC by signing up for our monthly e-opera newsletter at coc.ca slash e-opera. Thank you to all of our supporters for making Key Change possible. This week, we want to especially thank every COC member, subscriber, and donor for coming on this journey with us as we explore new ways to share opera's unique power. So to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to Key Change, wherever you get your podcasts. Key Change is produced by the Canadian Opera Company and hosted by Robin Grant Moran and Julie McIsaac. To learn more about today's guests and see the show notes, please visit our website at coc.ca slash keychange.